Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Three months have gone by, and it's time again for the wonderful and talented Peterson Toscano of Citizens Climate Radio to sit in for me as guest host of Spirit in Action. Today, he's really going beyond the call of duty with the impressive array of guests he's bringing in. I'd note that I first interviewed Peterson way back in 2007, and his works and forms of activism have vastly multiplied since then. Among today's key topics are the question of how to stay resilient in our climate work. But there is ever so much more in terms of content and form in today's program. Enjoy yourself and empower yourself as I turn the mic over to Peterson Toscano. Hey there, Mark. Thanks once again for allowing me to guest host Spirit in Action. And for you listening, hello and welcome. At this moment, you might be traveling somewhere, working out, doing chores, or just relaxing. However you listen, I hope you get a lot out of today's show. I've selected some stories and features that will help you with self-care. American photographer and poet Susan Curry tells us about a new book she wrote for fellow artists, especially when we feel stuck. But really, her advice works for almost anyone. You don't have to be an artist. The book is called Superflow. She provides tips for staying on task and motivated. Also, my colleague at Citizens Climate, Tamara Staten, joins us for The Resilience Corner. She will outline five steps to building personal resilience in our lives. We also do a little traveling in this episode. Joining us from Guatemala is Jose Cochoy. He grew up in a Mayan village in the highlands. And I love how he speaks about the natural world and his Mayan community. Two tragedies have disrupted their lives, though. First, the 36-year-long civil war, and now extreme weather, which is being made worse by climate change. Julio raises questions, important questions, about healing, reconciliation, and justice. And from New York City, we hear from a Swedish fashion model who is passionate about the environment. But when she started to speak out about climate change, her agency told her to shut up and just look pretty. She didn't like that one bit, and I don't blame her. Find out how she decided to make a platform for herself and for others. Oh, and you're also going to learn about a new curriculum for teaching middle school children about climate change. But first, how do we talk to children? about ecological problems like climate change. Writer Randy Hacker has a lot to say about this topic. We have somehow have a misguided idea of what we should be telling children. We think we're protecting them if we don't give them the truth. I felt like we needed to give the children the truth, not necessarily to frighten them, although I don't think being frightened is altogether a bad thing. I felt like we needed to have a magazine which was giving children the truth. They were scared, they were they were uncertain, they were insecure, and give them a way to, to empower them to do something. Because you know children have such a lot of energy and they're, re- they're ready to apply it. That's Randy Hacker. 
I write empowering books and articles for children about the environment. That's my passion. I've been doing it for about 30 years. Back in 1989, in response to the Exxon Valdez oil spill, Randy decided to publish a magazine for children. She called it P3, a reference to the Earth as the third planet from the sun. Many years elapsed. <laughs> and then I started Home Planet Books because I felt like I wasn't getting, I, I wasn't fulfilling what I considered my, my mission in life, my calling. And Home Planet Books, I began, and, that, and the first book we published, of course, was Life on a Different Planet, which was for teens and tweens, giving them ideas and actions that they could take, ways, new ways to think about how to live on our wounded planet without wounding it further. Life on a Different Planet, a climate crisis handbook, is an absolute delight. Randy captures the urgency of our need to act, along with the strong feelings young people are feeling about the ecological crisis. She also provides concrete steps for action. The antidote to feeling despair is to feel that you can do something about it or feel that you can take an action. And when people say things like, oh, individual actions don't count, we have to get the corporations and the governments on board, I think, okay, there's not, it's not that that's not true. But Individual actions do count because not just because they make you feel like you've contributed to ameliorating a situation, but also because if enough individuals act, then you've got a movement. And so just giving them something that they feel empowered gives them power. That's the other thing. Kids are feel powerless. And they also, I think, in these days are feeling betrayed because they're getting one message in writing, but they're getting a whole other message in, in the environment. The book opens with words in large, bold letters that spell out, Welcome to the End of the World. Turn the page to see that someone edited the sign to say, Welcome to the Beginning of the New World. I hope that the kids who read that understand that the end of the world is not always a terrible thing, that the end of the world is the beginning of something else. I was going to call the book Welcome to the End of the World, and then I got a lot of objection about that. So Life on a Different Planet, I think, is a better title. I wanted to give the kids hope that, okay, here's the end of one world, but it's the establishment of a new and can be the establishment of a new and a better world. What makes the writing come alive, though, is the artwork. Drawings that are playful and also illustrate concepts Randy wants her readers to understand. When we did our magazine, P3, I hired an art director who was the art director on this book also. Her name is Carolyn Brown. She's incredibly talented. And at that time, which was 1989, 1990, we were, I told her we had to compete with television. And so it had to be, there had to be little bites of things. We didn't call them bites at those in that in those days, but still, it had to be something that was so engaging where kids could go from one thing to another, even on the same page. So they didn't weren't faced with a, a long, long page full of text that they weren't going to read. And I've followed the same kind of same kind of process in this book. And now of course we have to compete with the internet. So it had to even be shorter little snippets. And Ron Barrett, who is the artist, perhaps you've heard of him. 
Did you ever read Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? That was him. He's a very well-established and, and just such a wonderful, dear, dear man and such a talented illustrator. We used him for several illustrations in the magazine. That's how I got to know him. And then when I did this book, I called him and asked him if he would be willing to illustrate it for, like, you know, for the good of the world and not charging me his usual fee because he's, he's of course, quite successful. And because of our longstanding relationship and because he is just a good human being, he agreed to do this. And so I, we worked with him to make, I don't know, we must have done about 30 spot illustrations that we dropped in here. And then, of course, uh, we created logos and little insignias, stamp-like things that you could look, uh, uh, things that you could, like, know and through supremacy and your brain in your head and people and little kids and children, not little children, shouting through megaphones, things that we could use, like almost like logos throughout the book that I hope would establish a unity. I enjoy writing humor because I, I love humor myself. It was a joy to work with Ron because he also, he's got a wonderful sense of humor and you can see the whimsy that he puts into his drawings. This art is brilliant, but then so is the text. Randy speaks directly to her young readers, acknowledges their strong feelings, and then gives them a way forward. You're angry. You have every right to be. Previous generations have failed you and continue to fail you by not acting at once to ensure a viable future for our only home planet. Why didn't they act when there was more time? Didn't they care? A lot of them did and do care about Earth and your future. But a lot of them did and do care more about money. They, came, they care more about economics than they do about ecosystems. There's a flaw in this reasoning, of course. If you haven't got a healthy planet, where on Earth are you going to spend the money? So yeah, you should be good and angry. Go ahead and stomp and scream into a pillow and grind your teeth and get together with your friends and vent and tell your parents and grandparents how you feel. And then get over it. There's no time for anger. There's work to do and it's up to you. You are inheriting a badly damaged planet. Get angry, get over it, get to work. If you think it's not fair that it's up to you, you're right. But as Scar famously points out in Disney's Lion King, life's not fair, is it? It is an excellent resource, and I encourage you to check it out. Life on a Different Planet, a Climate Crisis Handbook. The Home Planet Books is the publisher, homeplanetbooks.com. And it's also available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can also purchase it on Indie Books. Visit Randy Hacker's website to learn more about life on a different planet and other books she has produced. That website again is homeplanetbooks.com. And while we're talking about young people, their education, and what to say to them, I have two other resources to share with you. In our June episode, we featured good news about a new climate curriculum designed especially for middle school classrooms. This resource is now available to the public. Citizens Climate Education presents Climate Classroom. This is a flexible, multidisciplinary middle school curriculum it's designed to give students a toolkit of advocacy skills for climate solutions. The 14 lessons are grouped into three modules, Impacts of Climate Change, 
climate solutions, and taking action. It can be used online or in person with small and large group activities. The content instruction aligns with national standards in English language arts, ELA, social studies, and next generation science standards. To see an outline of the modules and lessons, access free resources, and learn how you can get this curriculum into your local middle school, visit cclusa.org slash curriculum. That's cclusa.org slash curriculum. And if you want to hear a moving conversation for parents by parents, check out the Climate Changed podcast. One of the recent episodes is entitled, What Do We Tell the Children? Ben Yashua Davis chats with Pacific Islander poet Craig Santos Perez about parenting and a climate-changed world. How do I parent in this moment where our kids still are living in this very tight kind of bubble created by us as parents. And I think Craig talks about that really wonderfully when I ask him, so how do you talk about the climate crisis with your daughters? And he admits, I don't. I, I know coral bleaching is happening right now. I know the oceans are acidifying. You know, our islands are, are more vulnerable because of, of the loss of our reefs. But I didn't want to tell her that. You know, I didn't want to break that innocence just yet. You know, sometimes our parental silence you know, protects our kids, gives them shelter, at least for a little while longer until they do have to confront the harsh realities. You know, poetry has always been that space for me to to wrestle with, with my emotions, to reshape my anxieties and concerns into uh, a piece of art, to, to be creative amidst all this destruction around us. You can hear Climate Changed Podcast wherever you get podcasts or visit the btscenter.org. That's the btscenter.org. You can also hear Climate Changed four times a year right here on Spirit in Action. The most recent Climate Changed episode includes a powerful and beautiful audio essay entitled, Daddy, Did We Hurt Them? Now it is time for the art house. Every month I chat with artists who address climate change through their art. But what happens when an artist gets stuck? How do we get unstuck? This is what Susan Curry considers in her new book, Superflow, Light Up the Artist in You. I am one of these people. I have a library of different you know, art books and guidebooks, all sorts of how-to books that I've accumulated through the years. They're wonderful. They've brought me much, but... I feel like some of them are just too heavy. They're too much of an investment. We live in a different world today. People don't have that kind of time to sit there and go through a laborious process and, and stick with it. So I really tried to, uh, with the book, speak in a voice that was uh, accessible. The practices are as well. Every chapter is designed to be concise, get right to the point to be accessible, and also uh, to have something simple that you can practice. As an artist herself, Susan knows the kind of challenges artists face. There's so much pressure to just nail things technically, to dive in, start creating work, start producing credits. A big portion of what we do as artists has to come from a place where we have quieted the mind, It comes from the 
Tibetan translation of the word enlightenment, which actually incorporates two words, the first one being Sang, S-A-N-G, which translates to clearing away. The second term is Gaya, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's G-Y-E-Y, and that translates to bringing forth. Big part of my transformation is just taking that time beforehand to compose, to empty the mind, to get back to your true nature before you pick up the camera or the paintbrush and allow that first portion, that song portion, to take all the time that it needs. I really cannot stress enough this idea of just stepping off the task from time to time. Relax your, your posture, both in the physical sense and, and in otherwise, and just allow yourself a reset. Give yourself the gift of that space to, to compose, you know, the mind and, and the heart. The step away is an essential part of Superflow. Take the time to really find a way to make that a priority, that whether it's a practice or it's a place that you go to, and make that a non-negotiable in your day. And I, and I know that many people don't have the luxury of being able to set aside, you know, two weeks to have a, a reset, a creative reset or a mental health reset, but there's always the opportunity to take stock in, in your day to day and take a look at how you're allocating your 24 hours and see if you can identify some space there, make some edits, subtract some of those things that are making less of you rather than making more and, and maybe identify, I like to call it like a slice of the day as a golden hour. And it could be 20 minutes, it could be five minutes, but just make that a non-negotiable, a time that you step away, work on your inward clearing and breathing and just getting back to your true nature, your true self, your true inspiration. And just like everyone doing climate work, artists need to connect with others. Community ties provide opportunities for us to be supported and to support others. We can all benefit, regardless of the work we're doing, of the nature of the work we're doing, the medium, by finding some community. Maybe other artists in your area, whether it's remote or in person and just kind of gather with them and swap stories and, and breathe and maybe laugh a little. Susan recognizes how much the climate movement needs art. I really believe in an art-drenched world, especially as we emerge from this cloudy chapter we've been in here. So, uh, you know, art to the rescue has been my <laughs> affirmation as of late, and I guess I'll just leave you with that. The book is Superflow. Light Up the Artist in You. It is written by Susan Curry and published by Shanti Arts. It's available wherever you get books. Learn more about Susan Curry, see her photography, and read her poetry at susancurrycreative.com. Curry is spelled C-U-R-R-I-E, susancurrycreative.com. If you have an idea for the art house, feel free to contact me, radio, at citizensclimate.org. Hi, I'm Tamara Staten, CCL's Education and Resilience Coordinator, and this is the Resilience Corner. I want to do everything I can 
to see that you have what you need to stay strong and steady in the important climate work that you're doing. In the corner today, we're gonna define resilience and consider five key steps to building and deepening our own resilience. So what is this resilience concept that we hear so much about lately? Resilience is our ability to bounce back from challenges and propel ourselves forward into what matters most. Building resilience helps us avoid burnout. It keeps us on course through the highs and the lows, helping us to maintain a sense of ease and possibility. It's like calling and meeting with Congress again and again, month after month, year after year, asking for a price on carbon. Being resilient allows us to keep going through the disappointment of a missing price. Yeah, we may be excited about passing the largest climate bill in American history, but we might also feel overwhelmed about what's missing and how much work still remains. Resilience allows us to make space for both the celebration and the defeat. There are so many ways to build resilience, and there's no one right formula. But as humans, it helps to have a place to start and a guide to follow. If I were to boil resilience building down to five steps, they would be these. Notice, accept, seek help, practice, and repeat. Let me share a few details. First of all, notice what you're needing, feeling, or experiencing right now. Make it a regular thing to check in about your needs and feelings and experiences. Second, accept that what you need is what you need. Allow yourself to be free from judgment about what that means about you or your upbringing or your surroundings. Third, seek help with those needs that you struggle to meet yourself. Again, do this to the best of your ability without judging yourself. What you need may be bigger than what you can do for yourself, and that's part of the normal human experience. Fourth, practice meeting your needs. This step is likely the heaviest lift for most of us, the one that we'll likely spend the most time and energy on. It will naturally look different for everyone, and it may take some trial and error to see what will meet your needs and how. And last, but certainly not least, Repeat these five steps regularly. Check in with yourself and assess the process to see how you might fine tune and improve it. Look to a variety of resources which can help mix things up for your brain and pave your way to success. You might notice that I didn't label this list as five simple steps to building resilience. While there are a variety of ways to build resilience and help ourselves bounce forward from challenges, it's certainly not a straightforward process. Each of these steps can actually feel quite challenging or overwhelming, especially for those aspects that are new to us. Starting small can make a huge difference, though, as with most things in life. The best way to climb a mountain is to start with the first step, right? As a reminder, the five steps to deepening resilience are noticing, accepting, seeking help, practicing, and repeating the process regularly. Next month, we'll take a closer look at noticing and accepting what we're needing, feeling, and experiencing in any particular moment. In fact, 
you can begin right now just by thinking about how you're really doing and making space for your authentic experience. Doing this will help you tune into what you need to stay strong and steady in the important climate work that you're doing because no pressure, but we really need you. I'm Tamara Staten with the Resilience Corner. To learn more about tools, trainings, and resources for deepening resilience, check out our Resilience Hub at cclusa.org forward slash resilience. You might also consider connecting with CCL's Resilience Building Action Team on that same page. And until next month, remember this, you are strong, you are resilient, and you've got what it takes to make good things happen. Thank you, Tamara. The Resiliency Hub website is cclusa.org slash resilience. There's still a lot more ahead for you on Spirit in Action. A Swedish model in New York City got fed up with people telling her to keep her mouth shut about the issues that mattered to her. So she started a new kind of modeling agency. She also has tips for anyone wanting to use social media to influence the public. Plus, Julio Cuchoy from Guatemala shares his mountain village with us and reveals the challenges they're overcoming. Peterson Toscano is letting me have a moment to remind you that you're tuned in to Spirit in Action today, and that you can follow and engage with us on our website, northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you'll find a raft of links to the guests that Peterson is sharing with us today. But that should be of no surprise to you, considering that you'll find links to all of our guests of the past 17 years, both for Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul, at northernspiritradio.org. Don't forget to make sure we know you're out there listening by posting a comment with this program on the site. And maybe you'll be tempted to also support us with a donation. We need your help, and so do the local community radio stations that carry this program. You notice the lack of advertising and sponsorship messages, don't you? That's because we choose to serve you, our listeners, instead of corporations or government funders. So, to help keep it that way, please send us a donation. There are a lot of right-wing and narrow-thinking forces with deep pockets who are funding all kinds of media, print, radio, TV, and social media in order to serve their individual needs instead of serving the well-being of the country. 
and the only way to offset and balance that onslaught of mind manipulation is with truthful and compassionate and comprehensive media like Spirit in Action, like all the rich news and music resources presented to you via community radio. Again, the only way this can work is if we do it together. So please support us, and we'll be able to lend a hand to all kinds of folks making this a better world. But enough of me. Let's go back to today's guest host, Peterson Toscano of Citizens Climate Radio. You actually ask to be quiet, stand in your corner, do what you're told, show up on time, and definitely do not have any strong opinions about things because that may not sit well with a brand, right? That's Anne-Therese Janeri, a Swedish fashion model passionate about taking on climate change. She shares advice for building a social media platform and on how to be an effective influencer. But first, I speak with Julio Vector Colchoy Alba from Guatemala. I am from a, a little community in Guatemala, which is called Santa Lucia Utatlan in the highlands of Guatemala. Julio speaks about his mountain village with great affection. It's a place of amazing beauty, and it also continues to be a site of deep trauma. In fact, you are going to hear details about the war Julio witnessed as a boy. This content may not be suitable for all audiences. The most important part of my life was when I was a little boy. I was living in a community, in a family, where the principles of love, compassion, tenderness, respect for the elders, but above all, respect for Mother Earth, was so important, was so deep, profound in our being. I am so happy that I live in this little community. We are 9,000 feet above the ocean level. It's cold, but it's warm in terms of our relationship. It was a community where solidarity, love, and compassion was part of our life. These mountainous communities have often been hidden away. Many times you could only reach them through narrow mountain trails on a horseback. As a result, Julio was shielded from a major conflict happening in Guatemala. A civil war broke out five years before he was born. It wasn't until I was 14 years old when I learned, when I was started to see what was going on in Guatemala. I think the first event that showed me that we, we were living through a really bad time, I didn't call it at that time civil war, it was when my dad took me to, from Santa Lucia to the, to the capital city. We took a bus, like public bus. And at one point of the highway, we started to see bodies of, I didn't know at that point, but they were dead people. Uh, the impact of seeing those bodies still today reminds in my brain and my feelings. And for me, it was so sad when I went to see dead bodies of little girls, little boys, elders, women, and men. That, that really impacted my life because uh, I was full of joy, full of compassion, full of love. And when I see that, it was a new paradigm. How, how that was possible. The Guatemalan Civil War lasted 36 years. Forces within the country, aided by supporters and influences outside the country, 
waged war. By the war's end in 1996, between 140,000 to 200,000 people were killed or disappeared. Most of them were members of indigenous groups. These indigenous people were targeted by the army and right-wing paramilitaries who accused the villagers of supporting left-wing guerrillas. In addition, government soldiers routinely raped indigenous women and girls. In January of this year, a handful of these ex-soldiers were convicted of these crimes. According to the BBC, quote, Guatemala's highest court sentenced five former paramilitaries to 30 years in prison for raping dozens of indigenous Maya women during the country's civil war in the 1980s. The men were members of so-called civil self-defense patrols, armed groups formed and supported by the military. The 36 victims were aged 12 to 52 when the crimes happened, prosecutors said. End quote. War brings destruction, affecting people, property, and community. I really loved to go to the mountains. Part of my job when I was a little boy was to pick the wood because my mom was was uh, cooking with wood, the uh, leña. But at that time, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that because if I go to the mountains with my tools, they will think that I was a gorilla and they will kill me. So I had to stop. I had to stop my own energy, my own needs. So then I have to think what to do, what to do to have wood in my house to cook my, my food. That's my case, but there are many other cases. Like people in, in the rural area of Guatemala and Santa Lucia, they, they were used to go to the fields at five o'clock to start the work, to start to working in the preparation of the land. But they did not. They have to, they have to think twice if they have to go. So the impact was in our conscience. They stopped us to be who we were. This is my case. But if you add the case of one full community, then the impact is in the social world. And if you're not free, you stop doing what, what you do usually. In Spanish, the attacks by the military interrupted the normal cycle of farming. The terror and the disruptions also led to a great displacement of people. They started to escape from the violence, escape to save their lives. There were two big movements. The first one was people organized in community. They were looking for the mountains, the deep and virgin mountains, and they went to live on the mountains. They were surviving on the mountains. But then other people organized, organized and groups, they decided to keep going and go to Mexico. So they crossed the borders and they, they became refugees in Mexico. The third level of immigration was the people, the, the academics or middle-class people who were involved in the guerrillas or in the revolution groups. So they were so scared that they were, they were caught by the army. So they were going to be killed. But because they have connections or they have educations, they went uh, to ask to the embassies to give them uh, asilo politico, or they just went to the United States, or they just went to Canada. Most of the people directly affected by the war did not have the means to pursue political asylum in the U.S. and Canada. Civil war devastated and displaced families and whole communities. And even after war ended in 1996, 
the impacts reverberated. Added to these has been another disruption, a force changing the weather and seasons that had been stable for so long. When I was a little boy, I thought everything was synchronized. Generally, we know that every morning was a little bit, ¿cómo se dice? Nublado? Nublado. Cloudy. Cloudy, uh, mucha neblina. So we know that it's going to be also sunny during the day after the, the clouds and still dry. And then we know that February is going to be crazy. Wind, cold, some sun and still dry. And then March, everyone, March and April, everyone is ready to, to go to the fields because we have to plant our corn, our vegetable, whatever we need. And then we were waiting. The first rain was expecting to be May 1st. Everyone know that May 1st is going to be the first rain. Probably I remember like a, like a little boy. It was true. <laughs> May 1st, we have the beautiful big rain. And then... We were expecting to have this normal rain from May to September, the end of September. Every year in the midst of the rainy season, they experienced a two-week lull. The rain stopped for two weeks and then carried on. Which we call canicula. And it happened. Always. It was raining and raining and then two weeks of nothing. It was so nice to enjoy the sun and beautiful day. And then normally will be September. will be the end of the rain. We were ready to harvest. Everyone knows that October is the most beautiful month because we have blue skies. There is nothing in the horizon, no clouds, no rain. Beautiful land because everything still is green. In November and December, they harvested the crops. But now that I'm 53, nothing is <laughs> like a cycle. <laughs> when it's raining from May to September, now this canicula that we call two weeks of uh, no rain, it can be one month, it can be even six weeks. So it's changing a lot. And then we were not expecting rain in November. Now we have rain in November destroying our corn because the corn is ready to be picked up. But with rain, it will destroy. We don't expect rain also in like in April or March. And we have it. Everything is changing. Julio reflected on the similarities and differences between the impacts of the Guatemalan Civil War and the changes brought about by global warming. They are similar because they create destruction. Destruction. But there is some difference there. When like a um, big rain and then, ¿cómo se dice? Deslave. Uh, a mudslide. Mudslide. When, when it happened and destroyed a community... The resignation of the people are, that's okay, it's, we accept it like, like a, as natural thing. And of course, people are sad, they lose their houses, lives, members of the family, it's a big trauma. But the destruction from a, a war like we have in Guatemala, the big difference is that people, our, sometimes our own people came to do it. So the resentment, the hate against the perpetrators, the, because, the trauma, because the trauma they create is so big. Similar is the destruction, but the, what is different is the need to heal. In both cases, you need to heal. But when, when a civil war destroys your family, there is something else we need. It's healing and reconciliation, but also we need justice, because if nobody's paying for what they did, this, our society 
I feel like our society doesn't evolve. We stay in a situation where hate, uh, denying, and just bad energies around us doesn't allow us to grow up as a society. When it comes to climate change, who is the enemy? Who do we resist? How do we make peace and pursue justice? Who's creating this destruction of our our mother? Why? Why we have now, instead of two weeks of uh, canicula, why we have one month of canicula? So some somebody or a big company or somebody in somewhere is creating this destruction. But because we don't see them and we, ignorance doesn't allow us to take actions. We don't know about them. So uh, probably the most important part then in this moment it will be to know about that, to have more information and to let the people know where is this destruction coming from. As a child, Julio was shielded from the war until he became an eyewitness. Yeah, and we can do that in terms of our the destruction of our mother earth, because somebody's doing it, and we have to know. The big, uh, let's, let's call them the perpetrators of destroying our mother earth. I think they know that we people are ignorant about that, so they're okay with that. But I think what is going to be a big change is if we know, if we have the information, and we are going to demand justice, according to the... Uh, I mean, if, I don't know about the legal situation in each country, but I'm, I'm talking about justice in terms of what they destroy and what they can do to, to, to repair, to, to fix what they create, or stopping what are they doing. As a witness to the impacts of climate change, Julio sought to assist his community through ecotourism, building projects, and opportunities for foreigners to sponsor indigenous Guatemalan students. Ten years ago, he and his partner, Doris Kinzina, began World Pilgrim Global Education. Though the COVID-19 pandemic interrupted tours to Guatemala, they will resume in February 2023. To learn how you and your family can visit Julio's village, and how you can learn more about the village today, visit worldpilgrim.ca. That's worldpilgrim.ca. Now it is time for the art house. I was just really battling with wanting to speak to the world and wanting to have an impact and an influence, but being a nobody because no one cared about who I was or I had zero following on Instagram and stuff like that. So I was just thinking to myself, like, how can I gain this platform? How can I somehow be given a spotlight where people suddenly would actually care about what I have to say? And one of the things that came to me was modeling because it was an old dream of mine I never really looked into too much because I thought that could never be part of my life. But as I moved to New York, suddenly I had this like, well, anything can happen, you know, because New York does that to you. Originally from Sweden, Anne-Therese Janeri came to New York City to speak up about the issues that moved her. Her first step, become a fashion model. One day, this one agency said, sure, well, we'll sign you on. It was kind of hard to believe it even happened, to be honest, because I'm like, all right, I knew I wanted this. And part of me thought it could happen, but really, like, I'm now a signed model in New York City. So that was a big moment. And I thought this was it. Like, you know, I've made it. I'm becoming a model. I'm going to become a superstar. And like, suddenly the world is going to listen to me. And that just didn't happen. 
the model agencies wanted her to keep her mouth shut. She was there to represent the brand, not speak her truth. So there was a huge disconnect in what I thought modeling would do to me and what I was suddenly just thrown into this world of like competition. And, you know, I was I just felt like I was just stripped of my voice and my power even further. Then she had a big awakening and began to ask herself questions. What are you here to do? You live in New York City, you know, the city of your, your dreams. You're doing all the things you always said you want to do. Like you're working in marketing, you go to school for the same thing. Working as model, like what else can you want? But there was, you know, this one thing missing, which was I wanted to help the planet and I wasn't doing that. From a young age, Anne-Therese Gennari felt connected to the natural world. I grew up in Sweden, just being very embraced in nature and uh, always felt like I was this eco-warrior since a very early age. I was the composting queen and like would tell other people how to compost correctly, even my own parents and stuff. So I was sort of that person that people hated slash loved, was a little bit annoying. But I was kind of like in people's face of like, we need to do something about the planet. And I thought I was super conscious about everything I was doing. I was biking and, you know, trying my best to be of a positive impact. Um, and not a negative one. She carried this passion for sustainability and caring for the planet into her adulthood. She realized if she wanted to speak out as a model, she needed to create a new kind of model agency. Because I thought there must be other models out there that feel the same way, who are like dying to use their voices and their platforms to speak up about things they care about, and they also want to be empowered to do that. How we do that is that we are seeking talent who are on some sort of mission to empower, educate, or speak up about these issues. I mean, not saying they have to be one way or another. Like, it doesn't mean like, oh, to sign with us, you have to be vegan, or you have to do that, or you have to think this way. Like, everyone has their own free will. <laughs> but we do want to see that aspect of, okay, you're gorgeous, you, you're really cool, you know, like you have the looks, you can model, but what do you want to do with that? Like, how do you want to use that to inspire and empower other people? And Therese recognizes the power of social media platforms and the problems they can create for influencers. Social media, first of all, is like this double-edged sword where it can both have this incredible power to inspire others and shift the world and make new norms. But at the same time, if you're not intentional with it, it can be very harmful in many ways. And if anyone's seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, you know what I'm talking about. There are days when I absolutely hate it and I wish I could just like let it go forever, but it is part of my profession. And the one thing I always tell myself is authenticity. That's something that we should all try to embrace more. And it's hard sometimes. Even when it comes down to greenwashing as a company, for example, or a brand, don't say that you are something that you're not because you will be called out on it, Right. We can't be too afraid of speaking up about things. I think right now there's this stigma of if you don't speak up, your your silence is almost speaking for you and your for you. Or if you do say something, maybe you didn't say it right, right, or you're not educated enough, or there's always something to pick on. And it's like, come on, guys, we need to speak up. Like, don't hate on people for trying. And I know that's hard and it's harsh in many ways, but I think bottom line is we do need to feel more okay with talking about things and to make it the norm to talk about very important topics. In order to speak out, Anne Therese has taken a big leap. She now produces a regular newsletter called The Climate Optimist. I find it an excellent resource because of how she switches the perspective. A big misconception we have today is that we need to show up and dwell on all the negativity, right? It's like, 
how can you not be angry with the world when there's so much darkness going on? Like we have racial injustice and we have climate change and there's a pandemic and governments are not working. So like there's so many things that we could be, pay attention to. And it's almost like the world is asking you to be upset all the time. Because if, you, if you're not upset, you're not caring enough. Sometimes it's really hard to even feel okay with being optimistic and to talk about good things. Even just allowing people to feel optimistic, which is my big thing with being a climate optimist, that's when you turn that switch on and you see a, a, a complete transformation suddenly just appears within this person. It's pretty incredible to see. In addition to the newsletter, Anne-Therese Gennari is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Climate Optimist, How to Shift the Narrative on Climate Change and Find the Courage to Choose Change. Anne-Therese agreed to read an excerpt from the book. We tend to worry because we don't know what the future will look like. We fear change because we don't know what that change will bring. But we also know that everything we've ever built, invented, or created has come from an ability to look beyond what we know now. Sparked by curiosity to find something different, humans have birthed new ideas throughout history from crazy, wild, and courageous hearts. When it comes to climate change and all the other chaos we face at the moment, We have to tap back into that curiosity. We must expand our hearts and minds, question everything, and dare to dream. Because maybe change isn't so bad. Maybe change means that things can get even better, better in the most unimaginable ways. The renowned American architect, William McDonough, famously said, The Stone Age did not end because humans ran out of stone. It ended because it was time for a rethink about how we live. We're there right now, at the bridge to a new era. And you get to help write the script of what's next to come. Learn more about Anne-Therese Gennari and her book, and sign up for her monthly Climate Optimist newsletter. Visit theclimateoptimist.com. That's theclimateoptimist.com. If you have an idea for the art house, feel free to contact me radio at citizensclimate.org. Are you looking to improve your skills as a climate communicator? To increase your impact in your community and beyond? Or maybe get a brush up on climate change science basics? Citizens Climate offers free online trainings. You can choose from pre-recorded interactive trainings that you go through at your own pace, or join us Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time for live trainings. To see a list of our trainings, visit community.citizensclimate.org. At the top of the screen, click on Resources and Trainings. There you'll find a link to all training topics. That website, again, is community.citizensclimate.org. Thank you for joining me today on Spirit in Action. I'm Peterson Toscano, the host and producer of Citizens Climate Radio. Our show comes out every month as a podcast. Now, if you don't usually listen to podcasts, it's super easy to listen online. Just visit citizensclimatelobby.org. On the blog tab, you'll find a climate change radio option. Just click on that. We have over 75 episodes for you. 
They include a wide array of topics that touch on faith and climate change, environmental racism, and the many ways people are creatively putting into place solutions to address climate change. Visit citizensclimatelobby.org. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education. And if you're looking for ways to get trained on being a more effective advocate around the issues that concern you, or if you're looking for what you can do to address climate change, consider joining Citizens Climate Lobby. We offer monthly trainings, group meetings all over North America, and an online conference coming up in December. Our volunteers are everyday people who became empowered to use their voices and their role as citizens to bring about change. Citizens Climate Lobby provides you with the training, tools, and support in your quest to find, maintain, and harness your personal power. Many of us have gone from being spectators to engaged citizens. In fact, I started Citizens Climate Radio just as a volunteer project, and now it's grown and grown and grown. Learn more at citizensclimatelobby.org. And if you want to contact me directly, please do. Send me an email, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Thank you so much for listening. And now I hand the controls back to Mark Helpsmeet. Thank you so much, Peterson. A wonderful program and so many great guests and ideas. I've tried to include links for Peterson and all of his guests on the NorthernSpiritRadio.org website. So check them out and keep rowing and changing this world. And especially check out all the other works and productions and creations that come from the fertile hands and minds of Peterson Toscano. And your life and the life of this globe can only be better. We'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo.